0: So as we meditate upon the incarnation of Christ tonight, our scripture text for the sermon comes from Hebrews chapter 10. I'll invite you please to stand together with me in in honor of God's reading as we read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. This is God's word as we read it now, we do so as an act of worship. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered. Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings. You have taken no pleasure and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall abide forever. Please be seated. In the classic poem written sometime around the turn, uh, perhaps of the, 18th, of the 19th century, uh, t'was the night... Before Christmas, we find a family who are getting themselves ready for the next day. They are eagerly anticipating the arrival of St. Nicholas. And all is quiet. Nothing can be heard. Even the children have been gently tucked into bed and they are dreaming of sugar plums in their heads. While Ma and Pa... Get themselves ready for bed. The family had prepared for St. Nick's arrival. They had hung out their stockings and they were ready for the gifts that he would bring. The author of the poem wrote that they were filled with one sentiment. Do you remember what it was? Hope. They hoped St. Nicholas soon would be there. There are similarities between the poem's setting and the world's setting on the evening of Christ's incarnation. It was nighttime for this family as they went to bed, hoping that the next day as the light dawned, that there they would find the gifts left by St. Nicholas. The author of Hebrews describes the law in chapter 10, verse 1, as a shadow, the time prior to Jesus' incarnation, was a time of shadows. Quoting Isaiah chapter 42, Matthew described the people of Israel as living in darkness and in the region and shadow of death. After Adam's fall, the world fell into darkness. It was plunged into sin. No longer did men rejoice in the presence of God. Instead, they were subjected to hard labor outside the Garden of Eden. They knew war, they knew famine, they knew hunger, they knew thirst, they knew sweat, and they knew death. We might imagine times where maybe men got together and tried to establish treaties between one city and another city. Only time and again to find those treaties fall into failure due to the pull of sin within each man's bosom. But the author of Hebrews has a different shadow in mind as we read from uh, chapter 10. He spoke of the shadow of the law. Specifically, he is referring to the ceremonial law, which taught Israel how and when and where to bring all of the sacrifices to the Lord their God. I think it was the summer of 2019 when we had a very unique opportunity to go outside and view a total solar eclipse. Do you all remember that? Were you able to see the fullness of the eclipse here We we were in South Carolina at the time, and I remember we had these special glasses, and it had been built up. um, Maybe that was 2017, uh, sometime along that uh, um, that period of time. But we stood outside with some friends, and we observed this total solar eclipse. And the moment that the moon passed in front of the sun, uh, the whole area was plunged into darkness. And it was interesting because in that moment, the temperature actually dropped. And in some places, you could hear the, the crickets started to chirp because they believed that nighttime had fallen. But it wasn't, it wasn't quite nighttime dark. As we think of the ceremonial law, we ought to think in terms of, of that kind of shadow. It isn't pitch black, but there is darkness. In the law of Moses, God brought the Israelites out of total darkness but it wasn't complete light either. And so as we think about this shadow under which they dwelt, the night before Christmas and the darkness of it, we remember that the old covenant, it wasn't a graceless darkness. It wasn't a different system of salvation as some imagine. This sacrificial system signified God's forgiveness to His people. The sacrifices, like the lamb slain to clothe Adam and Eve, demonstrated God's atoning work in behalf of His people. But these sacrifices, they were never intended to be an end in and of themselves. They pointed God's people towards something greater, And the something greater was Christ. The shadow under which they lived was the shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. When God invited Moses up to the top of Mount Sinai and there Moses stood inside the cloud with the Lord, he was given a marvelous vision It's described this way in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. Listen to what God instructed Moses. He said, They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. When... Jude and I travel to University Medical Center in Jackson. We get off the elevator and we take a sharp left and we walk down a hallway. And then we take another left and we walk down another long hallway. And toward the end of uh, the oncology unit there, there, on the right-hand side, there is a little model. And so I, I assume that at some point before they built the new children's hospital one of the architects put together this model of what the new wing would look like, and it's really cool to look at. Um, It's precisely laid out as the hospital is to this day, and it even lights up, and we look at it from time to time. This is exactly what God handed down to Moses. What God showed Moses on the top of that mountain was Christ seated in His eternal kingdom, and the nations flowing to Him and worshiping Him in His consummated kingdom. And when He gave Him the plan for the tabernacle, He is saying to Moses, build it in this way so that My people will have a foretaste of the kingdom of Christ to come. The system of their religion under the Old Covenant was a system intended to instill God's people with faith in promises that would be fulfilled in the future. So, the writer to the Hebrews citing Psalm 40, verses 6-8, to wrote, When Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. Now this sounds... Ah, doesn't it? Now, you're saying that, that God set down this whole elaborate system telling them when to bring the, the offerings, what time of day to bring the offerings, the type of offerings, how old the offerings were to be, what they were to look like, how frequently they were to be offered, and God didn't desire it? You see, under the Old Covenant the Spirit of God worked through a man. His name was Bezalel. And Bezalel was gifted by God to direct the tabernacle's construction. At the incarnation of Christ, the same Spirit that directed Bezalel overshadowed Mary and created in her without hands a new tabernacle. A human body and soul to which was joined the divine nature of the eternal Son of God. The the first thing that we find here in Hebrews chapter 10 is that Christ indwelt a body not created with hands, but formed by God Himself. You see, God constructed a tabernacle in which He would dwell. This is the Incarnation. But the writer to the Hebrews teaches us a second thing. Not only did Christ dwell in this tabernacle, He obeyed the law of God. The writer to the Hebrews declares the purpose of the Incarnation. In verses 6-7, through In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold... I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Often we think of the will of God as being disclosed to us in the moral law. Uh, um, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And that's appropriate. But here, Jesus referred to the ceremonial law. The Children's Catechism asks, why did Jesus become man? And we've always had a little bit of fun talking about that. Why did Jesus become a man? Why did the eternal Son of God take to Himself a true body and a reasonable soul? And I would often follow that up with another question. Can you nail a spirit to a cross? Well, of course you can't. The answer to that question reveals part of the reason that the Son of God became man. Jesus took to Himself a true body and a reasonable soul to fulfill not just the moral law, but the demands of the ceremonial law. He was the Lamb of God destined to serve as a sacrifice to cleanse God's people from their sins. And to serve this purpose, he had to have a human body. And his sacrifice is superior to the sacrifices under the shadow. Those sacrifices were offered repeatedly. And even when they were, the priest had to offer a sacrifice for himself before he could offer sacrifices for the people. The blood of those sacrifices was animal blood. Certainly not sufficient to atone for the sins of human beings. All of these are reasons the writer to the Hebrews says it was obvious the old covenant system was temporary. Now Christ, as the God-man in the body God made for him, has offered himself once for all to satisfy divine wrath and reconcile us to God. But there's a last part in Hebrews chapter 10 that we didn't read this evening. You ought not skip over it. The author wrote, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what did He do? He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If you took a look at Genesis to Deuteronomy, do you know what the very middle is? You would say, well, I know the middle book is Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Leviticus is the middle, right. And the middle chapter of Leviticus is 16. So what, preacher? Well, today, Jews observe a holiday called Yom Kippur. You might have heard of it. It means Day of Atonement. The center point of the law of Moses is the Day of Atonement. The center of Genesis to Deuteronomy, standing at the very pinnacle of the five books, is the Day of Atonement. It was the one time each year that the high priest, the descendant of Aaron, could actually go into the very innermost sanctum. He could go in where the Ark of the Covenant was and He would take blood and sprinkle it there. It was the highest of sacred days because it demonstrated propitiation that God's wrath was satisfied and expiation that the sins of the people were taken away. But do you know something? The high priest had to perform... Yom Kippur, every year. If you lived to be a hundred years old, you would have seen 100 days of atonement. But our high priest offered one sacrifice and sat down. Our high priest the Lord Jesus Christ in the body that God made for him offered himself as a sacrifice and sat down why? Because the blood he offered had divine value. His sacrifice is sufficient to satisfy for the sins of the whole world. His blood cleanses us from every sin. It doesn't need to be offered repeatedly because of its infinite worth. And now, robed in majesty, not a patchwork garment given to him when he laid in that cattle stall. Robed in majesty, the Lord Jesus Christ sits upon His throne awaiting the day of His next appearing. A day when all who have trusted in Him will be called to everlasting glory. You know how "'Twas the night before Christmas ends." Don't you? St. Nicholas has come and he tells his reindeer to fly away, calling them by name. And there's the last line, "'Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night.'" And for each and every one of us who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins can say, it is indeed a Merry Christmas. A Merry Christmas for all. Because this Son offered Himself once to satisfy divine wrath and reconcile me to God. And we may look forward to His appearing. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we bless and praise Your holy name. You and You alone are from everlasting to everlasting. And we thank You so much that You sent Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, That in our likeness and in our form He might die. Not having His life taken from Him, but as both priest and sacrifice, offering Himself once for all. We praise You in His name. Amen.